Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Big thanks to Spark Bites for sponsoring today's episode. Find out more about this great prebiotic snack at sparkbites.net. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode. So as we talked about last week and the week before, the theme of our episodes for this month is how to survive January without going down a diet culture hole, right? Um, Last week, we talked about, okay, so you broke up with dieting, like now what? Right? Because there's a big kind of blank space of like, okay, I know I don't want to do that anymore, but what what do we replace it with? So this week we wanted to talk about, okay, well, so what is a normal relationship with food, right? Because now so many of these dieting and it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle companies are like, oh, they're co-opting the language of intuitive eating and body image and, you know, all this other stuff. And they're like, well, you can do our thing and we can give you everything you want and you can improve your relationship with food and you can have a good relationship with food. But it's like, "Mm." but can you, can you do that by following this diet? So that is what we wanted to talk about today is what is a normal relationship with food? What is an optimal relationship with food? And what are some uh, little red flags to look for on this journey? Yeah. I think one of the things that I think is kind of important to note is that the reason why it's becoming co-opted is because people are starting to get fed up with it. And I think that that's kind of amazing that as more and more people are starting to kind of, you know, come over to the dark side of non-dieting and not wanting to obsess about (laughs) about the weight anymore. Um, You know, I feel like in some ways the dieting industry is getting a little, little rattled, if you will, and wanting to then market to you guys, to us in a more strategic and kind of like, um, like targeted way. And so that they're using some of this language and making us feel like we're a part of something. And then this is, you know, oh, this is, and it can look a lot like, oh, here's the perfect answer to this weird limbo gray zone that I'm living in, where they're providing me with all this stuff and it's clear, but yet they're not telling me to obsess about weight or about food. And it feels balanced and it feels mixed and it feels okay. And, you know, maybe I'll lose weight. Yay. Because that hasn't gone away because that's not a food issue that's a body image issue and so many other things are incorporated in there but I think it's important for us to when we're thinking about what an optimal and what a normal relationship with food is is to kind of remember that um, this is becoming more popular and more talked about in bigger mainstream places because people are feeling the same way that you're feeling and tired of doing the same old song and dance over and over and over again. But what does this new thing look like? And what 
what are we striving for, I guess, is in a big way what a lot of people are looking for. And for people who like striving for something and feel like they want to incorporate health promoting behaviors at the same time, but then also leaves you questioning, like, is everything I've ever done even things that I like, or are they even good? Or like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, what are my intentions behind every single choice that I'm making can leave us in like a new form of the nutrition jungle that leaves us feeling really paralyzed around making food decisions on a day-to-day basis. This reminds me of, I was having a session with a client yesterday and we were kind of talking about this confusion slash grief slash anger that can come up when you finally realize that like all of those years of dieting didn't really do anything for you right (laughs) when we look at the present and they were saying how like you know I look back and like I did all those whole 30s and I did all that crossfit and I did you know all this other stuff and like look at where it you know look at where I ended up like it didn't do anything you know kind of thing and I wanted to bring that up because it draws a very big distinction between normal and optimal, right? At that time in that client's life, cycling through Whole30s, doing all this extreme exercise, everything like that, that was their norm. That was normal for them. And especially during this time of January, it is the norm. Like it is normal to one, want to do one of these things because of all of the marketing and all of the things that they promise and everything like that. But it's I would be hard pressed to find anyone who doesn't know somebody who's doing some kind of elimination diet or challenge or, you know, whatever it is this January, right? So that is normal. That doesn't mean that it's optimal or that it's good for you or anything else, right? And so like we can look back, I look back at my past. It was my normal to do a Whole30 every January. Every January, probably other times of the year too. Was that good for me? Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Especially not in the long term, right? But that was normal. And so when we're looking at normal versus optimal, I mean, at this point, we can even say that elimination diets are normal. Doing diets in January is normal. Do Like having a disordered relationship with foods that's disguised as healthy is normal. But it's not optimal, right? When we look at optimal, it's what is best for me, right? Not what's best for Christina, not what's best for Dana, not what's best for all, you know, all these other people. What is best for me? And like Christina was mentioning, the this fact of the nutrition jungle of having all of this because of social media and all these people around us, we're constantly having thousands of pieces of wellness and health and nutrition information floating around us and then getting buried in our brains at all times. And it's really hard to figure out, okay, well, what is best for me in all this stuff to the point where we are outsourcing that information of, okay, well, I, in all of this mess, this thunderstorm, this nutrition jungle of information, I have no idea what is best for me. So we outsource that and be like, oh, maybe it's this thing that's best for me. Oh, maybe it's this thing that's best for me. That worked for my friend, my, you know, my aunt's cousin once removed, whatever. Maybe it'll work for me. But I want you to all keep in mind that It's not bad that you did all of these things, right? At the end of the day, we're trying to find our home base is how I've described it to clients before. It's like we're trying to find what works for us. The difference now is in the past working for you 
was probably a main driver was weight loss, right? Maybe for some of you now, the working is, well, I'm sick and tired of having these gut and thyroid issues all the time, and I would love to resolve this, right? And there's so many different conflicting pieces of information of how you should resolve your symptoms or how you should lose weight or how you should feel good and all this stuff. And so we just wanted to acknowledge that it's complicated and we understand why it's so tough, even just to make this distinction between what is normal and what is optimal. So that is what we want to help you wade through today. I think in some ways it might even be beneficial for people when you hear the word normal, normal, you think that that's like what you should be doing or, you know, and I think actually what we should replace it with is that's what's expected. And I think there's a big normalized and normalized, right? Like, and I think that's a big difference, right? Like when we think of the word normal, we think of, okay, we think of good for you. We think of like, this is what you're expecting. This is what you should be doing and things like that. Whereas to me, it's almost expected. Like it's expected, it's normalized in that you can't, you can't, okay, here's a great example. Literally yesterday, I'm getting out of the car with Elodie and Noah after picking them up from daycare and school. And we went to the playground, we're coming home, we parked our car, I get out and I walk and I hear, I'm literally just unloading my children. And I hear a woman walking down the street, talking to a gentleman saying, well, you're really eating like crap. Like if you weren't eating all this junk food and you incorporated more of a, if you started eating a little healthier and stopped eating this way, you'd feel so much better and you should be doing all these things and like listing out all this stuff. And all I can think, I literally said out loud, oh Jesus, like, <laughs> like, like, can't I unload Not today, Satan? <laughs> like, can't I unload my children from the car and walk the 15 yards from the car to the door of my house and not hear about normalization of disordered eating relationships with food. And I got to be honest with you guys, it's freaking everywhere. And that's why we're saying it's so normal to hear about it. You're going to be bombarded with it over and over and over again. And the truth is, is you don't have to participate in it. And I know that most of the people who are listening to this, either you're trying to convince yourself not to participate in it, or you've decided I definitely don't want to participate in it anymore. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for you. And like what Dana said, your own, your own home base. And I think, so to me, it's normal to hear a lot of people talk about all of this stuff all of the time. It's normal to not be able to go out to lunch with your coworkers without them talking about all the things that they've done wrong over quote unquote wrong over the holidays and what they want to do differently. It's also okay and safe for you to want to incorporate new types of behaviors in the upcoming year. That's okay too. And I think sometimes we feel like either we can if we feel that way, then we're not fully engaged in non-dieting. And I think that that can make us feel like we don't really have anywhere to hang out or no one to party with. And that's very lonely. <laughs> and so then we end there's up There's going- no measuring stick here, right? Like as, as we've said many, many times before, there's no failing in wholehearted eating, right? There's no, oh no, I messed up. I have to go back to square one. This isn't a whole 30 right? This isn't an elimination diet. This isn't, you know, all this stuff. There's just stumbling blocks and learning and we pick up what we've learned with an aspect of curiosity, not judgment, and we move on forward, right? To give another example, because I think 
when we we talk a lot about like good versus bad in the tech context of like foods and stuff when we look at the verbiage of like normal versus abnormal one of the main like connotations that that brings to mind for me is like lab results duh because I work with some freaking lab results all the time right you want normal you don't want abnormal However, in this context, I want to give another example, right? So we just had the holidays and I was realizing when we were sitting at our Christmas Eve or Christmas dinner table that my family, because I have been doing this work for years and kind of leading by example of not talking about dieting, not talking about what's good versus bad, not not talking about, you know, what is healthy and all of this stuff. And then also being a person who this is my profession, right? If I can kind of lead by example, the family's like, weird, Dana's a dietitian. She's not talking about this, all this stuff. Like maybe we won't talk about it either. Our family table, at least the people who are, you know, always there, we now don't talk about what diets people are doing. We don't talk about like food in a good versus bad way. We don't talk about, you know, like healthy versus unhealthy or, oh, I'm being bad or anything around our holiday table. That is abnormal. That is not a normal situation. However, in my opinion, that is optimal, right? I don't want to hear about that shit. I don't want to hear about that stuff when I am enjoying myself eating cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning, when I'm eating apple crisp at Christmas dessert, when I'm eating all of these different things that I rarely get to eat during the year because cinnamon rolls take too damn long to make more often during the year, right? I don't have four hours to do that, but I will do it for Christmas morning, right? So that is a situation when, yeah, that's not normal. Most other, especially in the US and Western cultures, and Christina can attest to this as well with her experience, right, is it's not normal to not talk about bodies and food and dieting and what's healthy and what's good and bad. It's not normal to not talk about those things. But in my opinion and in my, you know, safe headspace of the, the healthy and the healthy, yeah, the safe space that I want to be cultivating both for me and also for my family, I don't want to talk about that stuff. So that is optimal for us, even though it is not normal, it is actually abnormal. So striving for abnormal sometimes is awesome. <laughs> Let's all be weird together. <laughs> Listen, leading the pack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one, I, I think probably everyone who's listening to this is going to say, come on, guys, just tell us what we should be doing. <laughs> like, tell me what, Sorry. We, what, what we need to be doing and how we need to incorporate this and what is what that looks like. And I think one of the things that I want you guys to think about as you go through this process of, of figuring out what your idea of normal can be and what your idea of optimal could be is thinking about what your values are and thinking about what that looks like. And then, and then looking at two at the same time, how have my values been influenced by diet culture? And then looking at that and saying, how can I remove some of the diet culture chitter chatter and all of that stuff from what my values are so that I can incorporate some of those things so that I can create my own optimal relationship with food and my own optimal relationship with my body. And I think the the first thing that helps people with creating and getting closer to that is by by honoring the fact that they don't have to be constantly trying to change themselves 
in order for them to be optimal or better. Like sometimes you're just, you're good exactly as you are. Like already, your body is already good. You're already enough. You're already all of these things. And I think once you give yourself that type of permission and that kind of understanding and that level of compassion for yourself without feeling like you constantly aren't good enough and you have to keep changing it in order to do all these different things. And then that makes it, you becomes more susceptible, you become more susceptible to engaging in these quote unquote normal dieting behaviors because we want to be working on things and changing and everything like that. But if you say to yourself, I'm good enough as I am right now, and that's okay. What do I want my relationship to be with my body? What do I want my relationship to be with food? What do I want that to look like for me? And for most, most of my clients that I talk to, it's that I don't want to have to think about this all the time. I don't want to be obsessed with this all the time. I don't want to be thinking about it. I don't want to be standing in front of my refrigerator thinking about all the different noise that I'm hearing all the time to the point where I feel like I can't even decide what to eat because I'm being told in my mind what this is, what this means, what that means, what this means, what yogurt is this, and then, oh, but yogurt's also this too. And it's like all these different things that leads to you to not being able to even make any kind of food decision at all. And instead, leading more with your heart and saying, everything that's in this refrigerator, as long as it's not moldy, is fair game. What does my body require? What does my body need? What do I want to have? What am I craving? What am I desiring? What would I like to eat? And honoring that and saying, hey, it's okay for me to want to have pancakes for dinner. Like, that's okay. And it's okay that I want to have a salad. And it's okay if I want to do these different types of things. And being able to, to stand there and like, look at food, look at yourself and say, it's enough as it is right now. And I don't have to constantly be thinking about it, analyzing it, going over it, and making every decision based off of some kind of strange, like external, this is what will make everyone else comfortable if I'm participating in these things. Because you don't have to fucking participate in them. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't be sorry. <laughs> Listen, but like, you don't have to. And I think like, I think that can be really hard because we want to be part of something and you can want to have the desire, right? Like you might say like, you know, I really would like to have some kind of structure or some kind of routine. Listen to previous episodes of me and Dana when we've talked about how to do that, how to create that kind of thing where without participating in what's good and what's bad and moralization of food, there's nothing morally wrong with anything that you want to eat. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's the optimal to me. The optimal is to be able to look at food and look at it that way and being able to say, okay, um, here's what my body needs. Here's what my body is desiring. And how can I marry those two things together in a way that feels authentic to me and doesn't feel like it's a part of some kind of larger goal that's that basically every, oh, okay, some part of some, like I'm getting really heated because ultimately every time you have a goal that's like, like I need to change something about myself is basically a small voice inside yourself that's saying you're not good enough as you are. Therefore, you need to change. Therefore, you need to eat differently. Therefore, you need to lose weight because you're not good enough. You already are. And if you haven't heard that before, hear it now and hear it loud and hear it very clearly. You don't need to do anything different. You don't need to change anything about yourself in order to be the best version of yourself this year. Period. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and 
The only pantry cleanout that we recommend, right, getting down to the brass tacks of it, is getting rid of moldy and expired food. Yeah, right? I mean, right? Lord knows I need to go through my refrigerator because I'm on vacation. And <laughs> this is a great thing to do at the beginning of the year, right? Look at all your condiments, look in your pantry, you know, like look for expired things. Those are okay to get rid of. Um, but I wanted to talk about the caveat here, right, the little asterisk, because as two people with chronic health conditions, you may be like, <laughs> no, I'm not good enough as I am because <laughs> everything hurts and I'm dying. Yeah. So I can't just eat everything that I want, right? So I hear you, I see you, I hear your objections, right? So we also want to acknowledge that if you are somebody who has a chronic health condition, you have a chronic symptom presentation, right? I'm thinking of like all of our clients that we work with who have like C. diff and Crohn's and colitis and celiac and thyroid disease and PCOS and all of these other things, right? Every day I'm looking at stool testing that shows me all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I understand that you feel like you need to figure out what is the holy grail for me? What can I change to get rid of these symptoms? Because I feel like crap every single day and I'm sick of feeling like crap and I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I have been told for the past however many years that if I can just get my food under control, then everything in my life will be fixed. Because if I can just get my Crohn's symptoms under control, if I can just get my fill in the blank under control by changing all of my food and going through this wellness productivity checklist that I'll have more energy and I'll be able to clean my house and my relationship with my partner will be better and all of these other things. That's unfortunately not the way it works, right? And so first I just want to say autoimmune disease and chronic illness sucks. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes that's just the way that it is, that doesn't mean that figuring out a couple of things to change won't help you, right? But we also know that even all of these, you know, quote unquote, therapeutically designed elimination diets are general, even within certain health conditions, right? So like, for example, the, there are like six different, you know, diets for like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. They don't work for everybody. And there's no research that supports just doing a elimination diet can actually eliminate SIBO either in the short term or in the long term, right? So there's your permission slip of like, it can't just be food unless it's celiac or a anaphylactic allergy, right? But even then, there's more things that you need to do to do the healing, right? So even though you might not think that you're okay as you are because everything hurts and I'm dying, I get it, we get it, <laughs> we see you, we hear you, we are there, um, it doesn't mean that you still have to follow these yes-no foods lists, right? One of the points that we really wanted to get to is like, okay, what is an optimal relationship with food no matter if you have a chronic health condition or an autoimmune disease or chronic symptoms or chronic fatigue or any of these things? Your optimal relationship with food is you learning how to listen to your body, learning the language of your body, being able to turn off the external noise of all of the, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, and figuring out, okay, well, what works best for me? Because personally for us, Christina and Dana here, what an optimal relationship with food for us does not involve eating gluten because we have celiac disease. That doesn't mean that an optimal relationship for you is eliminating gluten if you don't have celiac, right? So 
there is a place for medically necessary restrictions, eliminations, and other things like that. So for example, an optimal relationship with food for somebody who is generally healthy versus an optimal relationship with food for someone who has type 1 diabetes are going to look completely different because optimal cannot look the same for anyone, even two people with the same chronic health condition. Optimal relationship with food is not going to look the same for them. So unfortunately, we can't tell you exactly (laughs) what an optimal relationship with food looks like because it is going to be different for everybody. But again, bringing it back to what's the whole point of this episode if you're not going to tell me what an optimal relationship with food is, right? Is (laughs) just because something is normal doesn't mean that it's optimal, right? Disordered eating is normal at this point in our culture. It is not optimal, right? That is not health promoting. That is health demoting, right? I don't even know if that's the right, right word for here, but you know what I mean. Because putting a definition on an optimal relationship with food is too perfectionistic, is either yay, check the green box, I am doing this right, or I'm failing. And as we've mentioned multiple times, there's no failing in this. There's just, we continue to move forward. Oop, that didn't work. Okay, we learned from that. We continue to move forward. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Spark Bites. So you all know that we talk about gut health a lot on this podcast. So today I wanted to talk about a great way to help promote a healthy balance of gut bacteria without the need for supplements. Spark Bites are a great on-the-go, top eight allergy-free, gluten-free, and plant-based snack packed with prebiotics from gluten-free oats, greens, and seeds. So while probiotics are the organisms that we might take in supplemental form or get from fermented foods, yogurt, kombucha, etc., to help support the balance of bacteria in our gut, prebiotics are the food that we can provide to help the beneficial bacteria in our gut microbiome flourish. So prebiotics can help you have more regular and pleasant bowel movements, have less bloating, and promote digestion and nutrient absorption. Spark Bites pack a combination of prebiotics and other nutrient-dense foods and are available in six different flavors. Cinnamon, which is my favorite, chocolate chip, coffee, red beet, matcha, and turmeric. And if you want to learn more, you can find Spark Bites at www.sparkbites.net, and they can also be found on Amazon. And now back to the show. One thing I want to say regarding the chronic health conditions and um, autoimmune and all those things too, I know that it may not feel like you're good enough because you're not feeling well enough, but there's a difference between not feeling well and not being good inherently, right? And like, I think that's a huge difference. And I think a lot of times, especially with some chronic health conditions, like I think I'm thinking about diabetes specifically. I'm thinking about PCOS too, that there is a lot of, for whatever reason, cultural shame around some of those, as if it's like kind of your own fault for why this happened. And that means that you're not good enough unless it's like healed and better and and all the things. And I just want you guys to know that that's not true and that you're okay and good enough exactly as you are. And you might still have the desire and anybody, right? Still might have the desire for feeling physically a little bit better, right? Like you might have chronic pain or you might be like, oh, I want to do this thing and I want to feel a little bit better. I want to have a little bit more energy or I want to do these different types of things. But that doesn't mean that you yourself as you are isn't good enough. 
those things don't make you a better person. They might make your vessel a little bit more, like a little bit more at ease with doing different types of things. But that doesn't mean that it, it follows into the, I'm not good if I'm not doing these things, or if I don't have this outcome, it's my fault because I didn't do it well enough or anything like that. And I think that's a huge distinction that I think is really important for everybody to know that, um, like Dana's saying, what works for one person as far as an optimal relationship with food and their body is different for each individual person based off of their own unique footprint, right? Like each person's body and life is very different. The resources available for each person is very different too. And so working within those confines and those constraints is going to create your optimal different than someone else's, right? And I think that that's also something to, to acknowledge as well and to work within and being able to support yourself in that way. And I think one of the biggest things for me is when you have something like that, where you have this desire to maybe um, make changes to feel better physically, is one of the things that can feel like um, you feel like you're doing something that's going to lead to optimization, right? Like you're going to feel optimal. But I think also, too, optimal doesn't necessarily mean um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, like, um, the most functional always, you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm describing that well, but I, I hope that you guys get the idea that I'm pointing out. But I think for me, it's more about the, your head space and your mind space that is optimal, right? Meaning like, the way that you're relating to food, the way that you're thinking about it, the 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 dialogue, the internal dialogue that's coming up. Am I being more compassionate and more understanding with myself, or am I being really judgmental? Is this? Am I feeling like a way for me to become quote unquote optimal is is tracking things and and monitoring them and observing everything and analyzing it and track you know all those different pieces that doesn't lead to an easeful mind space that leads to a combative over analytical mind space that makes us obsessed with certain types of things you're going to feel like your more optimal self the more the your mind space becomes free to do other things like <laughs> and quite frankly i think that's like the thing that we should look at like you're going to feel like oh i don't have to overanalyze this i don't have to think about this all the time i'm getting to this place where i can look in the refrigerator and think this is what i'm, I'm just going to grab things here's what i'm here's what i'm going to do um and that makes it to me that's the sign of what's optimal for you as an individual is when that mind space becomes more clear yeah and we also, I'm thinking back, it's funny because we're kind of moving more into talk about like, what are green flags to look for, right? Mm -hmm. In creating and cultivating an optimal relationship with food for yourself, which again, looks different for everybody. We also have an episode um, called Red Flags on Your Health Journey. So I'll definitely link that in the show notes. Um, but let's Let's make this very concise, right? This is, to be clear, this is not a checklist of all of the things you must have for an <laughs> optimal relationship with food. These are things that you can look for that are basically, and Christina talks about this sometimes um, as like mile markers, right? Of like, 
these are mile markers that you can look at and be like, oh, I am going in the right direction. Awesome. You know, like when you're, if you're thinking about like going for a trail run or a hike or something, sometimes there are little like paint spots on the trees that tell you you're going in the right direction. That's, that's what we're looking for, the green flags, right? So some of these are like being able to tune into your internal voice and, you know, not being as susceptible to the external noises, voices, everything. Because let's be honest, those are never completely going to go away, right? You're always going to go to the grocery store and see the tabloids and be like, this celebrity lost or gained a hundred pounds, right? Like you're always going to see the top 10 healthiest foods of the year. It's always going to be there, right? But that doesn't mean that you have to partake in that. And other things to look for, right? Like Christina mentioned, Food no longer controls your whole life and takes up 99% of your brain space, right? It takes up drastically less space in your life, which is kind of wild to think about, right? Because we would think, oh, well, you know, if I have a more easeful, less complicated relationship with food, you know, I have to constantly be thinking about this in order to maintain that optimal relationship with food. Nope. You, what, one is the, one of the most wonderful things about having a more easeful relationship with food is you don't think about food as much. Like all of those hours that you either used to, or maybe currently spent thinking about cleaning out the pantry, looking at yes, no foods list, tracking things in my fitness pal, thinking about all the things you should and shouldn't eat. All of that is gone. You get so many more hours in your day because you're not constantly tracking things in my fitness pal or logging everything into your Apple Watch, or, you know, all of this other stuff that we tend to do. Um, another green flag, you don't have to track and count every single thing that goes into your mouth. Like, that's awesome, right? Talk about creating more space. And here's one thing, too, because uh, I haven't ranted about this yet today. <laughs> you don't have to cut out major food groups for no reason other than following an arbitrary diet. The disclaimer for chronic health conditions is in here, right? But here's the thing. And here's here's my main gripe with a bunch of these January diets and resets and things that say, we're not a diet, we're a lifestyle, we promise. Okay, so you're on a diet forever, we get it. Of co-opting the language of relationship with food and anti-diet and intuitive eating is the OG program who has done this is the Whole30, Right. We get this. If you haven't been here for a while, years ago, I used to be a Whole30 coach, so don't come at me and say I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, okay? But their whole thing was like, oh, we, we improve your health, your habits, and your relationship with food. If you've never heard it before, you heard it here first. You can't improve your relationship with food by cutting out major food groups for no reason. You can't, okay? So the other thing is that if you have to cut out major food groups or if you feel like you have no control around certain foods and you don't have any control over your diet and everything unless you're not eating certain foods, that's not an optimal relationship with food. I hate to break it to you, right? If you think, oh, I'm, I'm okay as long as I don't eat cheese. Well, you've got a tentative stalemate there, <laughs> right? But we don't want to stop there. Like maybe... Maybe that's a huge improvement for you, right? Like maybe you used to feel out of control with so many different foods and now it's only cheese. Hey, wow, we've made a lot of great strides there. Like this is, there's no sarcasm here. Like that's great. However, there's still many things that we need to examine. Why do you think cheese is bad? What does cheese do to you? Why do you feel so out of control around this? Acknowledging that like if the only time you feel in control is when you're not eating it, that's not a place to stop. 
right? So the other thing that Christina mentioned before too, because I don't want to rant about this forever. I think I have like six episodes ranting about Whole30 if anybody wants to know. But like (laughs) you can find, and this is a huge mile marker here, is you can find other things to talk about when you have a more optimal relationship with food, right? It's like, you and I'll let Christina go into this example about the holidays is but there's so many other topics to talk about in the world than just food and just dieting and we know and we want to acknowledge that one of the reasons that food and dieting and bodies and everything is a very popular topic especially around the holidays because everybody has a body everybody has to eat and everybody in this country wants to lose weight basically or at some point in their life they have so that's something that we all have in common and there's this kind of especially with women but more so with men as well is like we and if you grew up in the same time as Christina and I then we like bonded over oh what diet are you doing oh my gosh I should do that we should do it together oh my god I think about mean girls is like uh my nail beds suck my shoulders are huge you know like we bonded as women over commiserating over these things these unrealistic societal expectations and all these things that we have to do to kind of maintain these white eurocentric unrealistic beauty standards and here I go on a ranch that we probably didn't need for today in a podcast about our normal versus optimal relationship with food. But what else do you come here for? (laughs) But to be honest, I think it's fair because these are the things that influence what we think of as optimal, right? And I think that's something that's really important too, is that we think of the word optimal as best. And as like, sometimes we think of best as looking our best, feeling our best, all the different things. And that is heavily influenced. That's not necessarily something that we come up and conjure on our own. And it, and being, you know, kind of self, like self-loving, it's more of like self, self-deprecating, like, um, that's what I'm looking for, like self-deprecating in some ways, and then kind of looking at it from like, okay, how can I then optimize this, right? How can I make myself better? Something else that I wanted to to like draw attention to, there's like two little things that I, that I wanted to bring up. One was when Dana mentioned about cutting out major food groups for no reason, I want to, to, to funnel in here a little bit on the concept of no reason, because a lot of people out there can come up with a reason. <laughs> And so <laughs> That's and then you can justify to yourself, oh, no, there is a reason. There's a reason why I'm cutting out this food goop. There's a reason why I'm cutting out all of every single carbohydrates. I'm a type 2 diabetic. Well, do you have to cut out all carbohydrates if you're a type 2 diabetic? No, you don't. There's a lot of flares at play for that, right? And so I think also, too, if you feel compelled that you have a strong reason to cut out a major food group, whether it's health related or, you know, control, like Dana used cheese as an example of feeling out of control around that food. And so you need to remove it. Um, We can justify those things really easily, but I would venture to, I would highly encourage you to work with somebody to help you drill down into the reason and whether or not you have the education and understanding around is this really the only way to work on this reason because 90 percent of the time i would say that it's not there is this 10 percent of the time when it is right but 90 percent of the time 
it's not. And I would say for everybody who's listening to this and who's saying, Christina, no, I totally have a reason. And I bet that's probably about 90% of the people who are listening to this right now. It's not you, right? Like it's probably not you, right? And I think it, to me, it's sometimes that reason is so heavily influenced by external things and what we've learned and what we've always believed for certain things to be, to be the cause of some of these reasons for why we would want to go down this road. But I wanted to point that out real quick is that you can say to yourself really easily, especially when you have a health condition or especially when you have an eating disorder to be able to reason with yourself, basically anything. And that leads me to the other thing where Dana mentioned about being able to listen to yourself and turn off external noise. For some people who are listening to this and some people who are struggling with them with this, the noise is coming inside the house, right? And sometimes it's not always external. In fact, sometimes the people around you are telling you to eat more, to do things differently, to relax around food too. And the noise like, you know, like it's coming inside the house instead. And that can feel very overwhelming with how do I then discern what is my actual self versus what is this internal like kind of noise that's inside of me that's telling me that I need to do things differently or I can't do things differently or I have to purge or I have to restrict or I have to binge or whatever it is that you're dealing with. I, I want you to know that we hear you and we know that you're here and that you deserve this space as well and that the noise is coming inside the house and that makes it really really hard to be able to discern those two parts of you that's like this one part of you that's saying just eat the damn donut you know like what's the worst thing that could happen oh my god I have to eat the donut I really want to eat the donut versus the part of you that's saying don't you dare eat that fucking donut you'll die if you eat that donut if you eat that donut everything goes to shit you know like everything will fall apart like there's those two really conflicting sides and I think that the way that can help you one always work with a practitioner. If you feel like the noise is coming inside the house, <laughs> you know, and then the two, the other part is they'll help you kind of like, cause they feel so like intertwined in this like deep web of like, this is also me. Like maybe I've never known anything other than this internal battle that goes on inside my mind for so long. The way that you can kind of start to, to kind of untangle those two thoughts and being able to see which one is the one that is influencing this um, kind of combative relationship with food and which part of you is actually helping you with having a more easeful relationship with food is what you want to do is be able to discern um, what voice is really judgmental. What voice is very perfectionistic? What voice inside of me is telling me that I'm not good enough unless I'm doing all these things? What voice is telling me that I'm out of control if I touch this thing? What voice is telling me that this isn't good enough, that that's not okay? I can't eat this. This is bad for me. I can't do this. I can't do that. All of those different things, the more that you can kind of 
take those two sounds that you're having in your mind when you're going to make a choice about food and being able to pull them apart and say, this one's really shitty and kind of mean to me and really harsh and basically says, I can't do anything unless I'm following exactly what they're saying. And then there's this other part that may be really quiet, that may be really, really hard to hear that's saying, hey, it's okay. You, you can have a bowl of cereal, you know, like it's okay to do this, right? And I want you to be, you might not be able to engage entirely in the act of the bowl of cereal or eating the donut yet, but you can maybe start to hear, wow, there are these two sides and one is actually trying to make me more relaxed and the other one is making me try to feel more controlled. And the more controlled one is the one who's keeping me from being able to have that mind space that's more easeful and I feel less like a failure. And I think that's something really important to kind of distinguish between because for, and for some of you who are listening to this, just because the noise is coming in, inside the house doesn't mean the external noise isn't there either. So, so just know that too, but sometimes the noise is heavily inside the house in a really strong way. And I think it's important to be able to kind of take those two things and slowly start to separate them a little bit. And the best way to do that is to start to be able to start to pay attention to the, the way in which those voices are talking to you. If you want to learn more about the noise inside the house, um, we have a great episode with Jessica Flanagan-Brown where she talks about how a high ACE score or early childhood or adverse childhood experiences impacts your ability to have interoceptive awareness and to be able to cut out the external noise and really listen to, okay, well, what does my body need? Because you don't trust that voice, right? So I would highly recommend you listen to that episode. I will link it in the show notes. Um and then, you know, the one other thing that I want to come back to, and we always come back to this about like, but I have to cut out this food or like, you have no reason to cut out this, right? Well, first of all, we're not gaslighting you here saying you have no reason to cut out any food, right? But we always encourage you to go seven layers deeper, okay? Like, let's say you have awful reactions when you eat fill-in-the-blank food. Instead of just seeing that come up on a food sensitivity test and be like, oh, I can't eat this food anymore, let's figure out why. Right, Because you might actually be able to engage with that food again with no symptoms or little to no symptoms if we can figure out why. Again, unless it's celiac or a true food allergy, right? So just always, like Christina said, I mentioned to this before we started recording, this episode is a permission slip <laughs> to go deeper and always encourage yourself to say, okay, be, have a toddler approach to things. Okay, why? Right? Seven, 78 more times. Okay, why? Right, Christina's like, this is my life every day. Don't bring this up. I'm getting triggered. Um, but so just remember in this very kind of fraught time of the beginning of the year or whenever you're listening to this episode is just because something is normalized and you see it all around you and you feel like it's everywhere, that doesn't mean that it's good for you, optimal for you, easeful for you, right? So it's complicated. We get it. We're going to be exploring this 
concept and all of these, you know, this overarching topic of like, how the heck do we do this? I mean, this is what we do every week on the podcast, but specifically in January, we're going to be helping you work through this kind of thunderstorm of emotions around our relationship with food and chronic health conditions. And we'll like, okay, well, so I don't want to diet anymore, but how do, how the heck do we do with this thing, basically? Yeah. Love it. So you might be left more confused. Hopefully not. <laughs> we'll see you next week. We'll, we'll get there together. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you again here next week.